Let's pray. Our loving Father, thank you for your word. Help us to understand it so that we can live lives that glorify you. We ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. It might not surprise you to learn that I, I did get in trouble as a child uh, a bit. Uh, the cane at school was never fun, especially on a freezing cold morning. Uh, yes, I was banned from youth group. Uh, I deserved it. And of course, on top of the fridge at home in the kitchen, on top of the fridge was, you know what, yep, you've guessed it already, I think, the stick. And if ever Dad reached for the stick on top of the fridge, you knew it was not going to go well. But the thing with getting into trouble, the thing with punishment, was you always knew where you stood. You always knew where you, where you stood. Except this one time. Uh, when we so, so upset Dad, uh, he went quiet, he went out and he mowed the lawn, he didn't ask for help, he didn't want help. Uh, for days uh, he was quiet and it was the worst. It was just like he threw up his hands and he stepped back for a little while. Which brings us to Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 1, beginning at verse 18. Uh, what is being revealed this week? Can you see verse 18? The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven. It's the wrath of God. Now, what was revealed last week? Something was revealed last week in verse 17. Can you see it? Verse 17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. Uh, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Now, uh, remember, it's God's action, this righteousness. And very simply in verse 17, it's basically saying God is making something that is wrong right. He's doing the action and wrongs are righted and that's why the gospel is such good news. But the implication of good news is that somewhere in the story there's also, yeah, bad news. So what's bad? What, what's so wrong, we might ask? Uh, why is it necessary for God to intervene and to act and undo all the wrongness with his righteousness? Tell me what's so wrong. Good question. Well, what follows isn't pretty this Verse 18 onwards, it's like the black hole of Romans. And we're going to peer down into this black hole from the edge and take a look inside it. Verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. See that the wrath of God is a present thing. And who is this wrath of God against? It's verse 18. All who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
And what is the truth being suppressed? It's the truth that our creator God is our creator God. But people want to live like he's not and that he doesn't exist. Uh, Even though God has made it plain to them, that's verse 19. And how did God make it plain? Well, verse 20, since the creation of the world... God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, divine nature, has been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. Paul is saying the proof of of God is as plain as day. It is as plain as the nose on your face. Have you ever thought of your nose as evidence of a creator or an eyeball or Was it all an accident? Just an accident? Are we to believe that all of this has its origin in nothing, that the universe just created itself somehow? Really? How on earth did something come from nothing? See, if we think about things like the speed of light, or gravity, or nuclear forces, they're all perfectly calibrated into the narrowest of margins, finely tuned. Can you imagine big dials all tuned to extremely narrow margins, so narrow that if any of the dials are out by the tiniest fraction, the universe could not have come into shape and into the existence that we know and enjoy today. If any of them were out, life would not be sustainable. See, what are the chances of all this stuff perfectly aligning in such a way that life can not only be created, but can continue to exist? Why is nature regular, as regular as clockwork? Surely as the sun goes down, the sun comes up again. Why is that? Why doesn't it change? Why doesn't gravity ever change? Or boiling point? Why doesn't that ever change? They are all constants and they never change. And so the right question then is, well, who is behind that? Who is behind that? I mean, if we came from monkeys, why are there still monkeys? Where do we get our morals from? or our uh, understanding of what beauty is, the sense of the beautiful, or the ability to empathise, where does that come from? Or love. And why has there been for centuries an almost universal instinct across all cultures to believe in a God? Why are humans equipped with the ability to discover the truth? And so see how fearfully and wonderfully made we are. See how unique each one of us are, even you. Look and see that creation is wonderful and beautiful and special and amazing. Uh, And it's intricate, isn't it? See how it all holds together. See that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. And get a clue of the one who stands behind creation, holding everything in balance together. 
His eternal power and divine nature can be clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that no one is without excuse. Verse 20. And so Paul is saying that the evidence does not point away from God, it actually points to God. To know we are in the hands of someone infinitely greater than ourselves. So how does it roll then when humans say no thank you to their creator? How does it go when some suppress the truth about God uh, um, where they don't want to face God or deal with God? How does that roll? Because it's not a lack of evidence that's our problem. It's, our problem is it's just that we think we know better. That's been a problem since the garden. We just think we know better. And so we set the creator aside and we trade him for a block of wood, an idol. We, the created, think that we can act and behave like we're the creator. We make ourselves gods. And God is furious. Look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him. See, they flipped the bird at God. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like a mortal human being or birds or animals or reptiles. It's, it's like those um, TV shows where people go swapping or well, American Pickers, is that a show where they go and do a trade and they have a haggle and you see how much money they've made or saved, whatever. Well, here the Apostle Paul is saying that humanity has come to the haggle of the century and they have traded the most precious thing in the world, God. They've traded God for something that is completely worthless. They've traded a relationship with their creator for a relationship with, with a, a block of water, a rock, or, or whatever your idol is. Uh, one commentator describes the human heart as an idol factory. How right he is. We make gods out of anything and everything, don't we? And then we make daily sacrifices to accommodate that idol, don't we? Might be a relationship. Might be academic success. Might be fashion or your social standing in the community. You, your identity is so invested in what people think of you. Might be your health. Might be the farm, might be a football team, could be anything. Romans says you're trading the, the glory of God for something infinitely less. So how does God respond to such rebellion? Well, God is angry. He's stinking mad. Verse 18. But have a look at verse 24. See what God does. Therefore, God gave them over. Or verse 26. Because of this, God gave them over. Or verse 28, look what God does again. 
Furthermore, just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, so God gave them over. This is the pattern as we read it. Three times we're told God gives them exactly what they want. Which is a big warning. Here's the warning. If we are not careful, God will give you everything you wish for. If you are not careful, God will give you everything you wish for. He will give you your heart's desire. What does God hand them over to here? Verse 24. God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God. See, it is again, the great exchange. The truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the created thing rather than the creator who is forever praised. When I read these verses, I was thinking this week, how on earth, what is sexual impurity today? How do we describe that or talk about that in our culture, in our society? Do we know what sexual impurity is anymore? Is it even a category? I don't know. Or shameful lusts, what's that? Verse 26, natural, relation, natural sexual relations uh, as opposed to unnatural ones, what's that? Same again in verse 27, where men abandoned natural relations. Men committed shameful acts with other men. In our society, it's where anything goes, how could we possibly know now? But you know what? I reckon as you read that, you know perfectly well what it means. You don't need me to explain it. It's all there, spelled out. But of course, to take these categories into the world is something else altogether, isn't it? Because now anything goes. These are verses that former Senator Bob Brown, you might remember him, now retired, he thinks the church has misinterpreted and misrepresented these words. It's very convenient for him to think that, by the way. But again, I want to say to you, is it just me? We, we know how to read, don't we? I think the meaning's plain. And this is what happens when we deny the truth of God. Uh, this is what happens when we deny the knowledge of God. Uh, we see that it impacts uh, our thinking and our behaviour and our desires. What we hold true about God shows itself in the way we live. So if God doesn't exist, then I can live how I like. Anything goes. And this, this is a departure from our createdness. Without a creator and a sense of creation, anything goes. But we know God sets up boundaries for us that are good and merciful. We know that the Bible teaches that sex belongs in the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife, man, woman, equal but different, physically accommodating, physically literally made for each other. Again, just look at our createdness. And it's nothing more and nothing less. There's no other category. There's no other combination. 
Anything else then, anything outside of the covenant of marriage, is a departure from God's word. And departing from scripture, hear this very carefully, any departure from scripture, don't think now that as we wallow in these verses that there's any one group of people that has a monopoly on that because you're mistaken. So be careful about pointing the finger. Which goes to show, if you don't have the vertical relationship with God right, if your knowledge of God is faulty, if your theology is poor, you end up with a picture that looks like this, I reckon. Now, maybe, again, you're reading this and you think, oh, I'm so glad I'm not like this. And maybe you're thinking, oh, I'm, I'm okay here. Uh, I'm not in with this lot. And, you know, it does, it kind of sounds like, you know, wrath of God and the rest of it. It does sound like Sodom and Gomorrah. It is, sounds Old Testament. You're probably thinking, well, that's not me. Well, if you're thinking like that, then you really do need to read chapter 2. But more about chapter 2 next week. But for now, let's keep going. Um, verse 28 furthermore just as they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God there it is again the knowledge of God so God gave them over to a deprived mind so that they do what ought not to be done they become filled with every kind of wickedness evil greed depravity they are full of envy murder strife deceit and malice they are gossips slanderers see it comes out of their mouth a poison they are god haters they are insolent arrogant and boastful they invent ways of doing evil they disobey their parents how do you feel man i'm so going to hell i've disobeyed my parents i already told you about that and my youth leaders and my school teachers i'm in big trouble how about you it's some list We've got murderers, we've got gossips. And what this list does is it really cuts to the heart of the problem. Here is the underlying need of, or the pro underlying problem with humanity is that we just reckon we know better. We just reckon we know better. That's what a gossip does. That's what a disobedient child does. We just reckon we know better. And God's angry about that. And one way, one way in which God expresses his wrath and anger is to give people over to their heart's desires and go, well, you reckon that you know what's good for you, then you go for it. I'm standing back now. And he stands back and a car accident unfolds, the train wreck or whatever it might be. See, you might be wondering as... You think about this act of God giving people over. How is giving people what they want, how is that? How does that work? And the answer is really simple. It's because sin is so destructive. Sin spoils everything. Sin brings ruination, wrecks relationships. And when God hands us over to our sin and steps back, can there be anything worse? Man, you do not want that. I mean, when Dad did it, as an example, it was, all, it was so terrible, it was almost like, Dad, I'd sooner have the stick. Go and reach above the stick, then we can be done. When God steps back, is there anything worse? Do not wish for that, ever. 
Now, as you think about this, is there another story in the Gospels about a father who gave his son what he wanted? A story in the Gospels about a dad who gives in to his son and just gives him everything that he asked for. And you know that there's a story. The son said, Father, basically, Father, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. Give me your riches now. And the father said, okay. What story is that? If you said the prodigal son, you are correct. Luke 15. The father, his response is he doesn't hold his son against the son's will. He refuses to do that. Even though the father's home is where security and love is to be found, even though the father's home is the best place for the son, the father knows all that, but he lets his rebellious son just hands him over. Go and do what you like, mate. The father gives his son over to his heart's desire. And maybe this is where we see now the strategy of God even more clearly. Because maybe this is where we see a strategy of hope that lies behind God's anger. Perhaps when people are reduced to eating pig slops from the pigsty like the prodigal son, perhaps then they'll come home and say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Please forgive me. See the outcome when we turn away from the truth of God, when we turn our back on what we know to be true about God. The situation is bad. It's so bad that God will give you what you want. So be careful what you wish for. From the human side of things, there's no hope as we move further and further away from God. There is no hope, humanly speaking. The worst thing that can happen to us when we do wrong is for God to do nothing. And so our only hope lies in God, a God who can change the prodigal's heart. The answer is to turn to God. Now the answer is to cry, dear God, do something. Please do something. And so we turn to him, but we turn to him through faith in his son, Jesus, our King and Saviour. We cry, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Father, forgive me. And we know that in Jesus Christ, the righteous died for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Forgiveness is possible. Wrath and anger is turned aside. It is averted. And eternal peace and eternal life are ours. Such is the love of the Father. Amen.